attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guests on the podcast, Doug Singer and Mick Sampson. Mick and Doug, I got to... Meet on the Road, another on the road podcast. I met these guys in uh, Arizona. Fantastic couple of guys. Really had an amazing time. Uh, Doug was awesome. Clearly loved his time at camp. But Mick, I, I don't want to play favorites. Mick may have been one of my favorite guys I met on the road, though. Uh, made me wish I'd been here for uh, a little time at camp with him. He was a really great guy. Told some amazing stories and just really had that great way about him. You could tell he was an Ojibwe guy through and through. Loved his time here. And was totally 100% pure bois, no question. Before we get to that, uh, just a quick reminder, the Camp Ojibwe Walk of Fame, the bricks are available once again. Uh, you can swing by the website, campojibwehistory.org, and click on Walk of Fame and get your brick now while they're available. Go ahead and do that. Also, you can check out the OJ90 preview, May 6th, 2017, Camp Ojibwe's 90th summer celebration Save the date. There's going to be a lot of fun news coming out about that in the next very few short weeks, actually. So go there. Check out OJ90. Check out the Walk of Fame. Okay, here we go. Doug Singer and Mick Sampson on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Doug Singer, I'm trying to remember, uh, I think I started in uh, 1970, and my last year was 82. Nice. So how did you first find out about Camp Ojibwe? Growing up in Highland Park, a lot of kids that I knew were, were going there, and I, my father said, uh, in fact, I think I was the youngest camper, mm. or I could have been one of the youngest campers of all time. Wow. when I went and I was actually in cabin one two years in a row Very nice. I know there's other people that have done that but yeah I do remember that yeah I was probably a hat pick and I'll, I'm not ashamed to admit it <laughs> uh, so basically you didn't have an option it was Ojibwe now, yeah that? and that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me nice did they come over did Mickey or Denny come over and show you the slides or the movie or anything and maybe like don't don't call? don't remember that just on your way to camp. Yep. Uh, so what's that first experience like? What, do you, what are your, when you first get up there, what do you remember? I just remember you get up there, you take the bus and you, you get up there and 
you already know you already know some of the kids from from school and you're just kind of walking around before you get up there like three in the afternoon and then you're going to have that evening meal and you're just kind of walking around and meeting people and and it's just kind of like uh it's kind of like you know you're unpacking and it's just kind of chaos but uh you know, gosh, it was. Just, I don't remember the early years as much as I remember the later years. Sure. Do you remember what cabin you were in, though? Uh, oh, you said you started in cabin one. I'm sorry. One, two years in a row. Three, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirteen, twice. Went on to be a junior counselor and a senior counselor. Very nice. Awesome. So, were you a sports guy before you went to camp? Did you, or at least, like sports? I, lo- I love sports. Right love sports. And what was your sport of choice? I mean, if you had to pick one? Probably baseball and tennis. Yeah. Nice. So when you got to camp, you were already familiar with the, the clincher, the 16-inch, that sort of stuff? I mean, or not so much? Not so much. That was all That was all new. Now, why, when I started, I played Peach League, so that was oh, sure, that was 12-inch ball right on. back in the day. So we were playing with the smaller ball, and then when you got older, you got into Pineapple League, and then you started playing with the, the bigger ball. Nice. Gotcha. So what's the camp day like back then? I mean, first of all, obviously there's dip or shower. Are you a dip guy or a shower guy? Oh, I'm a I'm a dip guy. <laughs> there's no in between, really. No, and I remember Al. I remember <laughs> Al being out there rolling in the calisthenics in the morning, and you know the counselors moaning, which one of us is going to get up today to to show our face uh, for our cabin, and and Al would run the calisthenics in the morning, and then hop in the lake, and on we go. Nice. And in those days, you start with instruction early in the day. That's usually kind of the before lunch. Yes, it was. Yes, it was, it was instruction uh, usually before lunch, and then leagues in the afternoon and leagues in the evening. Right on. As I remember it. Nice. And so you said some of those early years you don't remember as clearly, but uh, as you start to go back to camp and and you've got two, three, four, five years under your belt, what are the things that are bringing you back? What are the things? That well, I just think, and 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 this this goes this goes. Uh, forever. Um, first of all, I, I love the uh, relationships and, and the, the special bonds that I was able to develop with, with the people that I went to camp with. That some of my best friends, my lifelong best friends, are to this day are from bonds of people that I met from camp, nice. and uh, those are those are forever lasting. Yeah. Who are some of your guys that you were there with that you became friends with? Uh, guys that I was in the same cabin with for years and years. Guys like Mark Borstein, uh, Ken Gorlick, Steve Kaufman, Mike Brashowski. Uh, I could go. I could go on and on. Nice. It was just same guys every year. Uh, great crew, and we, we had we had a lot of fun together. Yeah. And in those days, without you know, obviously no internet or things like that, keeping in touch in the off season wasn't. So casual and easy to do. It I used to get depressed when camp was over because everything is so structured. Yeah. And then you get home and you have like that two-week break before school starts. And you're like, <laughs> what am I going to do today? <laughs> you know? You're missing all your friends. You're missing you all your friends. for the day. Absolutely. But no, but the relationships that I developed there and, and being a part of something. And, 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 and I, you know, this is not a kiss-ass, but I have to say that Mickey and Denny were so good to me. They took me under the wing um, from the very beginning, and I was I was really a bad sport, um, very very competitive. Talk about Mickey now. By the time you were a camper, is Al still really active with camp, or I mean, how has that sort of transition started? To it was starting to happen, although. Uh, what I love about Al is Al would uh, have me do special chores for him, and we'd go out and we he needs some 
labor done and there'd be three or four guys and we'd all get together and Al would say, I'll make you a deal. You guys go and do this job for me and I'll, I'll bring you by and I'll buy you guys a Coke. And so, you know, any, anything to help Al was, it was, <laughs> was all good. Absolutely. And, of course, Cokes are, are the prime currency of Campo Joe. Of mean, course. There's other things, too, food runs eventually. But yeah, Coke, but from Al really Schwartz, good. it's just it has a little bit more special meaning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's switch over to you real quick, and we'll just kind of get the intro story. So, please, for the record, state your name and your years at camp. Uh, Mick Sampson. Back then, I was Mickey Sampson. Uh, I was at camp for 16 years, starting in 1966. Cabin one was um, a hovel, so I was I started in cabin two, and I was in cabin two for two years. I think I was seven years old when I when I first went to camp. Nice. Explain what you mean. There was no cabin one. It was it was uh, dilapidated. Uh, uh, so there was no cabin one. It was uh, it was uh, just a like a shack. So cabin two had been newly built. So that's where I wound up. Oh, I see. And do you have any re- memory of how long that? Was that just like one or two summers, or do you know if that was an ongoing thing for a while? I think it was several summers. Nice. No one's mentioned that, so I've heard that before. Well, that's because you have a bunch of old bastards you're talking to, and they've all, <laughs> and they've all lost their memories. It's true. It's true. They were there from the first, when the cabins were made of stone. Um, so how did you find out about camp for the first time? Uh, my parents recommended it to me, and then Mickey came over and did the, the thing. I think it was on reel-to-reel tape back then, or something similar. And, uh, you know, they had a little pop-up slide and uh, showed me, you know, pictures of, uh, of camp. And sure. And you're seven? Like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely. Very nice. Did you, were there any other camps in consideration or anything, or was it pretty much just No. Ojibwa? It was, it was, uh, it was Ojibwa. I, I tried it one year and fell in love, and, uh. 16 years later, it, uh, it, was, it was hard to part. Yeah, for sure. Now, being seven, maybe you don't have a sense of this, but did you have an idea that, um, of what Ojibwa standing was in the community at that point? I mean, it's the mid-60s. Is oh, no. Ojibwa just it, and that's what people talk about? Or? No, um, there, were, uh, there were a few other camps, but, you know, I mean, remember back in the day, there was no, there was no Internet. Al Gore hadn't invented the Internet yet, right? Sure, so. Certainly. And so there were there were three stations in Chicago. There was uh, two. Well, there was two five seven nine, and then later later came along WFLD, right, uh, Channel Thirty Two. So, you know, you didn't really know much more what was going on around your your neighborhood, let alone anywhere else. Gotcha. So you go up to camp now. Are you? Is that, are you on the buses? To go to camp? Took the bus. Uh, scared shitless to, uh, because I didn't know anybody. Some of these other people went to. I was from Glencoe. Ah. Um, and yeah, at that time, Glencoe did not have very many. I mean, no, it was very rare. And back in the day, um, you, you go on the bus and uh, you get locked in the bathroom if you go. So, needless to say, uh, I held it for about, uh, and it was uh, about a, a four-day bus ride, I think, back then. Sure. Uh, it wasn't, you know, there were. It, it, you go over Lake Butte de Mortes, right, mm-hmm. on the way up to, to Eagle River. Uh, do you remember stopping? Was that a thing? I guess there came a period of time where the buses would take a, you take a lunch break or something. Or yeah, I don't remember stopping, like but you know, could have. They don't. They don't stop now. No, it's just one haul. But when we used to drive up to camp, um, when I became a, to be able to drive, we always used to stop and hit golf balls in Lake Butte de Mortes on the way. Oh, nice. And uh, be careful of the speed trap in Fond du Lac on the way up. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> So you get to camp. What's the first thing you remember from hitting Camp Ojibwe for the first time? Well, it was just, I mean, it was just immediately, it, it was just cool. Immediately it was cool. It, uh, 
you know, you, you know, growing up today, so many, so many things are important to us. You didn't care about the weather. You didn't care about the mosquitoes. You didn't care about the heat. Uh, cabins weren't heated. Cabins weren't air conditioned. Um, but it was just, it was just cool. It was just, it was just immediately. And, and to this day, I still have friends from, well, you know, in, in life, if you have a couple of friends, you're, you're, you're lucky. I probably have 20 friends that I've had for 40 years or more. Wow. Who are some of those guys? Well, one of them sitting here, Doug Singer, David Rosenstein, Steve Gorlick, Ken Gorlick, um, Mark Borstein, Brian Borstein, Brian Edelstein. I'm going to miss people, and they're going to sure. get mad. Uh, Barry Feldman. Uh, my mentors were Bobby Kaufman. Uh, Bruce Paul James, may he rest in peace. Uh, Elliot Friedman, Jim Nachman. Um, Lou Mager, I don't know if you've heard that Absolutely. name before. Yeah, I'm going to Seattle. Uh, eventually, I'm working my way uh, up the coast. So, um, He's coming back to camp this year, actually. Oh, my goodness. He's going to come back and uh, spend the first half of camp there and work on the Jubilee and put together the Ojibwe Singers again. Have you, heard, have you heard the name Lou Fletcher? I have. Uh, we're trying to see if we can get a line on it. So this is the coolest thing on the... David Cher. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is the coolest thing on the planet, by the way. Um, so... Um, Paul James used to do Reveille, or somebody else used to do Reveille, but you always knew when, when Fletch was in camp, when Lou Fletcher was in camp, because it, it just came out just perfect. Nice. And you always knew, and you woke up and said, uh, Steve Katz, another maniac. I don't know if you've heard that name before. Just, uh, Nightingale, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Steve's been a big supporter of the, of the whole project, both uh, in spirit and financially. So. Awesome. Absolutely, yeah, he's awesome. Um, so were you a sports guy going in? Uh, I was. Uh, baseball, I was, I was a swimmer, um, so um, they give me crap, but my, my, my last year as a camper was I was chief for the Braves, won collegiate week, won the swim meet, won the track meet, and that was wow. a... That was he a. He doesn't glow. By the that way. was a. He doesn't glow. He doesn't. He gets mad when I bring it up. But that was a. That was a hell. But you know what? Every year at camp, it was was treasured. I there were many many campers. I got drunk for for, for the first time as a oh, as a counselor that sure. I can't talk about back in the woods. Um, but uh, I, I, look, uh, the, the guy sitting next to me is is my brother for life. He would do anything for me. I'd do anything for him. And and it's like that with anybody you ever meet from camp. More so than anything, I, I you know, growing up, I was a, a, uh, I was a poor sport. I learned how to be a, a good sport at camp, but more importantly, I learned how to be a good friend. Yeah. And knowing how to be a good friend uh, is more important than just about anything other than family. And I feel like anywhere I go in this life, I, there's there's family out there from Ojibwa. Yeah, absolutely. I came in as a, a staff guy only. I'd never been a camper, so. It's a little hard to get in that way, to get it accepted as an Ojibwe guy. Um, but even that, even having that been the case, once I was, the door shuts behind you and you have a family for life. For life. You, go. you know, I, I cold call guys for this stuff all the time. Unconditional love. That's it, right. You walk up, we want to talk about camp? Done. What do you need? Let's go. It's amazing. Uh, let's talk about some, some of the big camp institutions that go for a long time. So the Camp Ojibwe Braves. Now, you just brought up that you were chief of the Braves? I was. Um, what was your Braves I was drama. Oh, very nice. Not a good one, but I, I, got the job done. I got yelled at every time I missed a couple beats. But sure. sometimes I led the camp astray where we were going. But but uh, I, got, I got the job done. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? You, 
what was the brave experience like? I mean, kind of in your respective time periods. Obviously, the initiation was a much different situation than it is now. Uh, you would call initiation hazing. Yes. Um, and I, I I'll, and I'll never forget this. And this was this was um, uh, Mike Bagan uh, took me aside, and you have a hood over your head, right? And uh, it wasn't quite uh, pouring honey over you and, and tying you to a tree, but you know you were you were hazed a little bit. And he and he took me aside, and I knew it was him. But I mean, you had a, a hood over your head, and he's like, "Look, you're a nauseous little kid." And he said, "We're going to change all that." And uh, you know, I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And you know, people put their arm around around you, and in, in a, you know, you get molded. And it was life lessons, and. Um, Somewhere along the line between um, when I was first a Brave at, I think it's 12, is that right? Yeah, I think that is, yeah. And when I became Chief for the Braves, it, 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 it changed to where the hazing portion was gone. Um, it was more like you're on silence for a day and you do some chores and then you sing, hand, join your hands and sing Kumbaya and then you're a Brave. But uh, it was a little different in, in, in my day. Certainly, certainly. And yourself? I don't remember a lot of the hazing. Um, I think I was more mixed era than it was in my era, which really is only four years difference. But I don't. I don't remember. Then how come you call me an old fucker all the time? I do not. <laughs> Actually, I think I think Futransky and Jimmy Rubens had a lot to yes. do with changing the hazing situation. Jimmy Rubens was chief of the Braves. Yeah. Yes, he was. I think, and and Al was the medicine man. And mm -hmm. I think together they. Sort of Good-looking guys, by the way, just so you know. Okay. Mitch right. Rubens, not so much, but but, but uh, Jimmy, yeah. Good-looking guy. All right, fair enough. But Mitch could hit a... Mitch Rubens could... Uh, you probably heard the legend of Mitch Rubens. Uh, he could hit... He Probably the farthest ball I've ever seen hit is, was Mitch Rubens. He hit a lake ball. Nice. That's incredible. I mean, we're talking about an era where guys would hit it over the mess. Right. Now, I hit a hall ball. I did. I hit a hall ball, but I, and I hit a road ball, but Mitch, Mitch Rubens hit a lake ball. Yeah, what'd you do to your finger? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the bottom uh, you were talking about competitive, and you guys both brought up being, uh, being sore losers mm -hmm. to start out with. Um, and one thing I've talked about with a few guys is camp is great, and obviously it's super competitive, and, I, and let's talk about that a little bit. But more than teaching you how to be a winner, it teaches you how to be a good loser, mm -hmm. I think. And that's a huge thing people take away from camp. Um, tell me a little bit about the competition side of things when you were there? I, I was one of those guys that um, I, I, I just, I, I lived for Collegiate Week. I mean, I, Collegiate Week for me was the bottom. And I had a pretty good record in it. I won a few times, a couple seconds. A few times. That's, that's yeah. a good run. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, did, I did well in Collegiate Week. And to me, that was just uh, the thing that got me really fired up was, was the week and competing and, and trying to win the week. That was a, that was a big deal to yeah. me. Yeah, the week is unlike anything anywhere else. I mean, these grown men, 70, 80-year-old men telling me, like, I've done a lot of things in my life, but the year I won the week, that was it. I also I also uh, got into a couple situations, and people will remember this, that um, I pretty much had Collegiate Week wrapped up, and I'd been known to uh, go into the last day with a couple of my teams, and we literally choked. And uh, last of all four activities, and I think I'm on record as our team's choking a couple times, so. But I did go out and win the last one, so I, I did go out on top. Very nice. Yourself? Uh, yeah, of course, Collegiate Week was, was, you know, the crowning of camp, right? Sure. Um, 
kind of uh, uh, after the week is kind of anticlimactic. Um, was fortunate enough to win collegiate week several times. Um, but it was, you know, it got downright competitive. Um, I remember I, I lost a ping pong match and I threw a ping pong paddle through the, through the <laughs> rec hall window. Um, Who was that to? Jerry Gilbert. Mm -hmm. um, Perfectly reasonable. <laughs> uh, when I was a coach, I picked um, Ken Gorlick as my junior counselor, and I made Kenny promise not to yell at anybody for the entire week, and he and he actually made it through the entire week, so that was good. So I had actually, believe it or not, matured a little bit from sure. going from that guy that you would yell and scream to kind of the, the calmer force. But, uh, you know, league play was always, um, it was intense. It was absolutely intense, and I don't know what it's like today. I have no idea, but... Uh, I think the biggest change, you know, we have a four-week program. Now, so mm -hmm. you can go first, four, second, four, or all eight. And we moved Collegiate Week to the final week of camp. So the leagues really last either four weeks, three and a half, or they last two weeks. And so I think that the intensity, it's good, but you can't get the same thing you guys yeah. had because you had the whole summer. And you were that team, and you were playing those other teams the whole summer. So I think we lose some of that part of mm. it. Yeah, I know like these days, uh, I, I just talk to kids and, and these days, like these kids, when they get involved in these sports back home, it's like a year round commitment. I got travel basketball, I got travel this, travel that. We're back in our day, the summers were pretty much, you could do whatever you wanted. So like when I first started hearing about these two half sessions, I was like, you know, I, I to me, after four weeks, I was just warming up. Right. Just yeah. really getting into it. It's like that. playing the front nine, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. a great it's a great call, Nick. Now, I will say that 75% of our kids are all eight. So yeah. it's still there. It's just we're trying to also, I mean, you just can't be a modern camp and not a common camp. How much does camp cost for eight weeks? Uh, I believe we're at 8700 Oh, my goodness. So when, we, when I first went, I think it was $500 for eight weeks, and that was a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then it went up gradually to a thousand dollars, and the and the, and the uh, everybody would say, "Yay, I paid my thou, right? I paid my thou." That was the that was you the know thing. what though, as far as the experiences and, and the relationships and what camp is, it's to me it's priceless. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. The connections, priceless. Yeah. How many guys have I talked to who took a year off after? or didn't come back as a JC because they could have a summer job and make a little money, and now that's, like, their top of their list of life regrets. Like, who cares about that $4,000 I made that summer or $2,000 I made that summer? Exactly. To camp instead. It was the night out at, the nights out at Harry's. That, uh, well, let's talk about it. So in your days, where did you go after? Uh, where were your nights out spots? Well, Harry's was the, was the place, right? And... Uh, if you wanted to source uh, local talent, that was the place to go. Sure. So, although the the people from town didn't necessarily like you hitting on their women, but um, and then of course sneaking back food to, to, to campers at night. Sure, Harry sir, did Harry's have the food? A and W. A and W. And so, and and of course there was White Spruce, which had the best pizza around. I don't know if that's still there. It is still around, and it still gets good praise for its pizza. In the Persian Paradise was there. You could get a block and tackle, which was a drink. I don't know if that's still there. <laughs> the Persian Paradise is now called uh, Lumpy's, and ah. uh, it is it, the things that supposedly made it a paradise are no longer in play, ah. um, from what I've heard. Ah. But uh, but it's still a good bar, and uh, it's full of it's got a lot of screens and a lot of brewery on a lot of beer. Uh, so it's a big local 
Well, back then there was only two things to do in Eagle River, drink and buy moccasins, right? Yeah. And once you bought moccasins or, or, once... Or fudge. <laughs> yeah. Don't fudge, forget the fudge. Fudge at Bosaki's in Manaqua, which burned down. Oh. Wow. Uh, Bosaki's burned down when we were there. Home of the famous Manaqua bats up in um, Manaqua, sure. but um, Bosaki's burned out. Was Manaqua a thing you would do once in a while? Would you go that far for it? No. That just, yeah. no. Mean, there's an, there is an era of guys where Manaqua became the regular thing. Mm. Like, Why would you drive that far? You're going to turn it and you're going to eat it. No. Speaking no. of camp, um, one of the things that I've really enjoyed the most... <laughs> Wait a minute, we're talking about camp? The whole thing is going to... <laughs> Um, one of the things I enjoyed the most was actually when I when we were, when I was a waiter, mm. and we would have the pre meals before we would serve the meals, and we had a we had a great group, the guys that I've been to camp with forever, Bailiff, David Rosenstein. Uh, Do you know that name, Bailiff? Yes. We're not Do you know that I gave him that name? <laughs> I did not. I was. Is it something we can talk about? Or? Uh, you can talk about it, but it, it, that's I gave him that name. Uh, that's the one accomplishment I have in life, let alone. <laughs> but, he, but he is now David. He is not David. bailiff. He is not bailiff anymore. He's Borstein David. and Gorlick. And, and, and the, mm-hmm. the laughs that we would have, the camaraderie that we would have, uh, eating, eating by ourselves, and like people would walk in and Elliot would walk in or campers would come up to the windows. And with the stories that we would share with each other, it was just some of the funniest times I just remember. And uh, I remember, I remember David was the head waiter, and there was a couple guys that would never get up in the morning, and he had to always go and get them up oh. in the morning to get them to the table for breakfast. I won't name names, but I do, I do, I do remember that. <laughs> name names, we're here. Just name names. You're among friends. <laughs> Jordan Shiner was one of them. <laughs> Could not get Jordan out of bed to save your life. Um, but just the camaraderie and the stories with Mark Rose from Toledo. And we we just we just had a ball, but Boren Gore going at it in the mess hall. Just the waiters; um, those were those were some laughs. Nice. Now, when you when you're a waiter, are you still playing? You, uh, as you come back, are you still able to play in the league? Well, like we, we were JCs, right? We were they, they yeah. So we could play we could play watermelon. That's what I'm I think we could play. Watermelon. So JCs don't play watermelon. Anymore. No, they don't. So yeah, that is definitely one of the things that changed. But they also get paid too. Now. I don't know. You guys probably paid to be there. I'm guessing. Uh, we didn't get paid as JCs, did we? I think we did. I don't think I I think we didn't have to pay for camp, but we didn't get paid. I, I remember walking away, but it was like a break even. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Was your JC experience similar? Oh, it was a, it was a ball. I mean, uh, but you participated in the in the leagues fully, so. Um, I mean, that was a ton of fun. And then, then when you became a senior counselor, so I, I, I don't know, I think I was a senior counselor for six years or so, and just the, the stories and the trouble that you used to get into. And, I mean, and then uh, trying to, uh, to get, getting your kids at the table in 13 to, to give a cheer in the mess hall based on your previous night's experience. Absolutely. And if you got the horn for Pearl, you know you went too far. So tell me a little bit about Alan Pearl. And if... In your time, are you able to sort of have a relationship with them, or is it really just camper and, and administrators, or is there a little more? I just remember Al's being special and just just being like a, a father figure, just Al Schwartz, and just uh, remember him used to used to watch activities and and uh, used to really get into it, and he'd make comments and you know 
he that was had a great personality and and uh, I just I just have very fond memories of him going back. Yeah. What about Pearl? Pearl, um, I didn't get to know Pearl all that well. I, I did deal with her in the office per se, um, but I didn't really have a chance to get to know Pearl as much as I probably would have liked. Well, I, you know, Al was uh, Al was just always so ingratiating, warm, loving. Um, Made great steaks. Remember those steaks Al used to make? Saturday night steak night. Oh, my night. gosh. Do the they fact. still have steak night on Saturday night? Uh, we have sort of transitioned more to, like, rib night being yeah. the, the big thing instead of steak night. Steaks got more pricey. Yeah. So exactly. Al, made, Al made the best fillets. Oh. Is but, everybody happy? <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. So, but back in the day, you had uh, Katie Evans back in the... Uh, Katie was back in the kitchen, and Otto uh, was was the bakery. Yeah. And uh, Tom was the milkman, because we always say, hi, Tom. Uh, when he, as he was rolling up the road in the morning, everybody say, hi, Tom. Um, you know, Pearl was the matriarch. Pearl was just the matriarch. She, she, she wow. was... Um, uh, she was Al's foil, because she would... She would um, she would do the harder things, you know. She would be more um, if there was discipline to be to be given. Uh, discipline. I mean, if there was a, a a confrontational word to be given, it was given by Pearl. Um, but those were back in the days when Sandy was a young pup, uh, uh, Denny's wife, and Reva was a young pup. And uh, you know, when you're seven and eight years old, and and there's just beautiful camp directors' wives, it was just. Um, uh, that was that was that was always fun. Um, I remember once, um, and and we Dave shared uh, actually sent me a picture. It was one Fourth uh, of July, and I got the idea that I wanted to go down the slide on a red wagon. Okay. And um, <laughs> I had to go and uh, impale myself in front of Pearl and beg, uh, and no, 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 no. And finally, they let me go down the slide on a red wagon. So I have a picture of me going down the slide on a red wagon. And, nice. uh, uh, well, I was probably circa 18 to 21 years old, so oh. about 150 years ago. Wow. Right? You survived. I did. I do remember this. I do remember, uh, like, when we would get really loud as a cabin, the last thing in the world that you ever wanted to do was get so loud that you wake Al up. And have Al show up. Good point. At your cabin, that is the last thing in the world that you ever, ever, ever <laughs> wanted to have in a camp. And thank goodness, at least in my experience, that never happened. Yeah. Wow. I had a, I got a question for you. This is mm-hmm. a little bit off track, but uh, back in the day when they were announcing like the Collegiate League Week winner, some Paul used to play the piano. Yes. Do you guys still do that? We as absolutely a do. We we got stuck for a little bit in the two thousands with not really having a piano player. And I mean, let's be honest, Paul, Lou, and Lou, phenomenal musicians. Mm-hmm. Like, could just do anything. And so Camp was blessed with that for a long time, because no matter what it was, whether it was singing in the mess hall, Jubilee, or this stuff, they could just... Never <laughs> rains, it's sunny, Camp Ojibwa. Don't, don't right. give up your day, oh, That's a classic. We brought that back for the... Is there a rifle range? Uh, I can't imagine there is. The rifle range is a great story. So in the, let's say, late 70s, the story that you will hear is that some staff guy was out there smoking late at night, whatever, didn't put out a cigarette. Well, yeah, I was there when the rifle range. I wasn't. It wasn't me that burnt it down. Right. But the rifle range burnt disclosure. down. Right. But the truth is, the story goes that it burnt down. 
and right. there was nothing left. Now that's not what happened. Right? No, they rebuilt the rifle range. Interesting. Tell me more. The re the rifle range was rebuilt after it after it burnt down. And the, and I was there when it happened. So supposedly there were counselors that were that were out there that were smoking, and it did burn down. But it was it was rebuilt. Okay, because the story that this is great, this is awesome information. Because the story I have is that there was a fire that smoldered out one of the mattresses, and like one of the stalls was kind of scorched out, but not that the whole building. No, no, they rebuilt it. Okay. And it, it had nothing to do with Mrs. O'Leary or a cow sure, and the sure. lantern in the shed. They rebuilt it. And so is our archery now still there too? There is archery. Riflery goes away pretty quickly after that. Though. Yeah. Um, I would imagine. For box hockey? Oh, absolutely. Box oh, here we go. No, I'm not going to bring it up. have to listen to how he was so good at box hockey, and he won Collegiate Week for us <laughs> one year because of his box hockey. So it was, all about, it was all about Doug Singer. No, the medicine man wrote it. I had nothing to do with it. Well, listen, if it's in the medicine man, it might as well be true. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's better than the Inquirer right there. That's honesty. But, um, but yes, yeah, so we still do the piano thing. Great. And, uh, you know, we have a townie guy who kind of comes in. He's great. He's awesome. But this year, having Lou back, oh, no, he won't be there for the whole thing. I guess I'll be there. I got a question. Have you guys incorporated more golf into camp? You know, because that's uh, one sport that, like, Mick and I play golf like every weekend. It's mm -hmm. like our passion. And that's one sport that I wish when I was a kid I played more of. Yeah. The golf nets are still there for driving mm -hmm. practice, right? Um, they've moved, but they're. We still didn't have golf nets. So we actually. There, there was just a trip day you could play on. Oh. You could go and play at Eagle River Country Club. So Eagle River Country Club was glorified cow pasture. Sure. <laughs> and you get to the you get to the seventh green, and I don't know how I remember this because I can't remember my own, my own name. You get to the seventh green at Eagle River Country Club, and there was a sign that said "No deer on green." So that means that the deer are going to read the sign and not go on the on the sure. green. It was okay for the deer to go on all of the other greens, but the seventh green. That makes sense. Yeah. It was okay for cows and sheep and pigs and everybody else to be on the green, but deer. Or the people bringing their pet deer to the golf course just Certainly couldn't park the, yeah. Off the seventh green, please. Go figure. Mm -hmm. That was so. That was a trip day thing. <laughs> uh, okay, I thought the golf nets actually went back from there. So they're they're driving nets, and those have always been there. And then in OJ Park, maybe five years ago now, they took out what was the Crolf course, the Croquet Golf Course, which you probably didn't exist either. No. You know, um, and put in a miniature golf course. So there's nine holes of mini golf there. So you have you know you got mini golf and you've got golf nets, and they still. Where is that? That's in OJ Park. Don't know what that is. Uh, Schwartz Park. Schwartz Park, okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, and they still do Sunday morning trips where if you want to, you can go and go into town. So that was Tuesday. Trip day was was, okay. was, was, yeah. was Tuesday. Tuesday trip day is still trip day, but with the golf, when they do golf, they always do it on Sunday morning. Ah. Uh, but getting back to camp and your yes. experience as a camp, uh, let's talk about, you guys talked about being counselors. Yes. Who were the guys who, as counselors, who were your campers who you really had great connections with? Was that, was that something you experienced where you had campers who really, like, you connected with in a big way, maybe went on to be friends with long after? Sure. I'm still friends with 20 of them. So Doug Singer, Ken Gorlick, Steve Gorlick, David Rosenstein, Mark Borstein, Brian Borstein. Um, that, I mean, so that grew out of that counselor-camper relationship, oh yeah. not just being campers together. Oh yeah. I, uh, to this day, I talk to I talk to Kenny Gorlick every week. I talk to Doug Singer every week. I talk to David Rosenstein all the time. Steve Gorlick, I, I talk to. Um, uh, God, I well, he's in a similar business. He's actually a customer of mine now. Yes. Talk to him all the time. Um, but it, but it, but it doesn't matter so, because even if you don't talk to him for a long time, you pick up the phone, you talk to somebody. It's like you you were there yesterday. Yeah. 
it's just it's beautiful I'm thinking back to like the older days I remember guys like uh, they probably don't remember me but I remember them guys like Danny Barnett John Michaelon uh, Bayless John Bayless uh, those guys stick out in my mind the guys that I remember I guarantee you they remember you guaranteed oh, how could you not remember no I'm just kidding um, great great guys uh, being a counselor was was a lot of fun um, had a lot of lot of great times and that was that was a lot of fun just kind yeah. of doing it from a different side yeah because it's one thing I mean the counselor side obviously going out at night getting into sh- shenanigans that's a big piece of what being a counselor is about especially a senior counselor but that other side you know what the job actually is and being in there with the kids too drinking and driving coming back to far field with your lights off seeing how, how long you could make it down the road without hitting anything <laughs> I do remember one crazy thing, and it wasn't just me, it was a bunch of guys. Um, there was a guy, his name was uh, Richard, I don't remember, but he had the saxophone. And uh, for whatever reason, not not a bad guy at all, but he used to just drive us crazy. And and one night we came back, and we were, we were three sheets to the wind, and we went into the cabin, and uh, we just started playing with the saxophone, and I don't know, we just kind of started taking it apart. <laughs> in a nice, in a nice way, in sure. a nice way. In the way a, you do, the way you casually take apart a saxophone. Right, right, sure. Right, and so, and it wasn't, it wasn't. We were, we weren't doing. We were doing it to be humorous. We weren't doing it to be spiteful. But that's something that stands out as something that wasn't probably the smartest thing to do. <laughs> There's no way that thing got put back together. Sure, certainly not. That's... Uh, I would say that um, more often than not, Denny knew a lot more than we thought he knew um, every now and then I would be the, the recipient of a lip rip oh, sure. and if you get the Denny Rosen lip rip or the, uh, you knew that you were busted um, uh, Denny this is and you probably well I don't know if you ever heard this or so the initial JLO the Justice League of Ojibwa oh, no. and that was something that uh, Denny had a little uh, covert uh, group of, of counselors that if, if any of the other counselors ever needed uh, policing or got out of line, they were paid a visit by the, by the JLO. I see. Um, nice. It wasn't, uh, you know, you, you weren't tortured and had your fingernails ripped out, but um, uh, you got paid a visit. Um, fortunately, I never got paid a visit. <laughs> my my, my uh, shenanigans were more uh, uh, pushing the envelope as much as I, as, as I possibly could. Um, Doug will tell you normal rules don't necessarily apply to us on the golf course. They didn't apply to us at, at Ojibwa. Uh, when it came to just seeing how pissed off you could get Denny without, you know, getting retribution, right? <laughs> right. See how far that envelope would stretch. Right. I, I really, I, I, have, I have just, this, again, this is not kissing ass, but uh, Dennis, Dennis Rosen was just the best program director. He made camp. Top-notch guy. Top-notch top notch guy. guy. He, and he just gave me... I, I would ask him for more responsibility, and I told him towards the end of my days that I really wanted to referee some of the top games of some of the championship games, and he gave me that opportunity. And you know, I'll forever be grateful. Yeah. He let me wrestle and and uh, bang up on a couple of guys that I probably shouldn't have body slammed. And um, <laughs> you know, li- li- life was very but, good. But that was the, that was the reward. The last couple of years of getting the you know the the marquee games. Yeah, um, sure. The marquee assignments, I, right? I asked for him. I asked for him. And um, Denny, um, y- you know, I, I have the utmost respect for Dennis Rosen. Molder of molder of people. I will tell you, one time I did push the envelope a little bit much, 
Denny had a hole in his shirt, and I did go up, come up behind Dennis, and I did rip his shirt off. Um, that is right up there among the stupidest things a human being could do. Uh, because I had welts and bruises. Um, and when, ne- when Denny pulls out the, the nipple pinch, you're, that's, that, that's not good at all. Yeah, I, I, I may have crossed the line there a little bit. Most of his more uh, torturous acts are, are on display only museum quality now. He'll, he'll demonstrate once in a while a good thumb screw or a, a t- temple screw and all that stuff. This is legal, this is not legal. Yes, he used exactly, to do it. Exactly. Yes. But we don't really get them out of uh, anger. <laughs> not a mothballs anymore. <laughs> I, I love David Rosen. I mean, I, David Rosen was a great competitor. Boy, I remember going against him in Collegiate Week, and, and he was the second pick, and boy, Rosie was. Rosie was Rosie was tough cookie. You yeah. saw me, David. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and uh, David and I. I mean, we've already said I've done this, but we just talked about like how tough it must have been to be the directors. I mean, that was a, I, I listened to the podcast. It was very insightful. Yeah, to hear what that experience is like. Um, what about Elliot Friedman? You guys are both there for different variations of Elliot's heyday. Any great memories about Elliot that are nice enough to say on here? Well, okay. Um, <laughs> Or not. No, and and I and I will I will preface this by saying that Elliot was a, a mentor, uh, a mensch, um, just a very very insightful, warm, loving individual. Absolutely. Probably the best E. Friedman story I can tell you is that a bunch of us went up to Eagle River. I think I was a counselor at the time. In the winter time. And I was riding on the back of Elliot's. I was riding on the back of Elliot's uh, snowmobile when Elliot went about 50 miles an hour into a, into a tree. Completely smashed in the snowmobile. Um, uh, my forehead is bleeding. Um, Elliot, for about the next month, his testicles were about the size of two grapefruits. Um, how we survived, I have no idea, but it was, I was on the back of that snowmobile. That's very interesting. I mean, that is obviously something of a legend. <laughs> and as you may or may not know, most of the, uh, most of the staff for, say, the past 25 years just think he only has one because he lost <laughs> one. Of course, the classic there you go. got one, whoever has none. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, um, but he's still trucking away. He's but still I was able to have two kids after that. So, and, so, so but you, I, were, you had a little patty. Yes, I did. He was the one who took the yes. of the hit, as I Yes. And um, when I posted his podcast, the picture is actually from... Um, that day, because there was a lot of photographs taken of him laying in the snow in misery, him on the way to the hospital. Because <laughs> why would you not document all of this? We wanted to continue snowmobiling and come back and get him later, but <laughs> it wasn't quite possible. That's great. Oh, I know what I'm asking about. Camp is known as a sports camp. As I mentioned, I came in not as a sports guy, but it was a sports camp. But the secret is that underneath that, that there has always been this other side of camp that is the entertainment side. The Jubilee or Stunt Night or Intercabin Sing or the, uh, not the Minstrel Show, you're past the Minstrel Show, but, but whatever it is, that's always been this other side of things. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about maybe some memories or experiences on that side. Hand routine. I was a hand routine guy. There nice. you go. It was, it was, uh, that was, uh, you know, an, uh, yet another honor. I would say that's a right? high honor pick. That was a big, big yeah, deal man. to be part of the, uh, part of the hand routine. So I remember, I have a picture of me in the hand times? routine too. I don't know. I don't know. I tried. I didn't make it. It's a lot of coordination. Mm-hmm. 
Any singing though? Any uh, stage appearance? Any OJ singers. OJ singers. OJ singers. Horrible stunt stunt writer. Not not great. Yeah. I once tried to do uh, as a counselor. Um, the movie Oh God just came out. So what was that? 1884 when that came yeah, out, and probably. And I ordered some uh, glow in the dark um, paint. And we and we, when we turn on the, uh, the the neon lights, it was, sure. it was it was a flop. I failed miserably. <laughs> so no no star turns on no. the on the Okajipa stage for you guys. No. Nice. No. By the way, I have to say a special couple of hellos uh, to a couple guys. Uh, Steve Marty Rosen, my partner in Collegiate Week. Uh, you're the best, Marty, and I want to say hi to Jay Copel. All right. And I, and I know I'm leaving a ton of people out. Please forgive me. Oh sure. Any shout-outs while we're here? Well, I, I, you know, I did. I, I earlier on, I, I gave a bunch of shout-outs, but uh, I haven't seen uh, uh, Elliot Friedman in God in probably since 1980, 81. Uh, Paul James, who has passed, um, Jim Nockman, who has passed, um, really, really key in my development uh, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a human being, not just as an athlete, as a human being. He, he, he mentored a lot of people. Nick, I always looked up to this guy. You, just... he, you know what he was famous for? He would coach softball. And he would coach softball. And whenever a guy would hit a ground ball, he would say, come on, come on, come on, run it out, come on, come on. And you could be standing, like, on the basketball courts, and he'd be on diamond two, and you could hear Mick pumping it out, getting his guys to try to run him out. <laughs> Wonderful memories. For you listening at home, he is being very, uh, what's the problem? Humble is the right word. It's, 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 it's clear. Um, do you feel like that, do you feel like you were born that way? Do you feel like camp helped influence that sort of nurture, nurturing side, that, that feeling of passing it on, of, of mentoring, of, of because some, some people are born that way and some people learn to take that leadership role and learn to... I think it's all of the above, yeah. right? So... All of us have a passion that lies within us. Um, for me, getting the best best out of people, just getting the best out of people. I mean, as long as people can do their best and try their hardest and do their best and be respectful and um, uh, not only learn how to, to win but learn how to lose and, and uh, just be a good person. So yes, camp and camp camp was uh, integral in bring in, in helping bring that out. I think, I think camp really helps you uh, grow as a human being in terms of learning how to adapt to different situations, being on your own, sleep, sleeping over at camp, learning how to become more independent, but being able to communicate and develop relationships with people uh, and the friendships and the connections that you make. And every time I, every time I think of camp, I just have a warm, warm feeling inside. I always look look back on it as some of the fondest memories and something that I really, really, really thank my, thank my dad for getting sure. me involved at a young age and being privileged enough to go ahead and participate at, at Ojibwa um, was, was something that I'll always cherish. Yeah, absolutely. Did anyone ever mention uh, the, the, the accident? Where, where... They have, but, if, but no one has talked about who was really there. Who was there? I was there. I was there. I'd love to get. I was there. So not only was I on the back of Elliot's snowmobile, but but 
This was a day there was a, uh, I think he was Dutch, his name was Jan Roddinghaus. And uh, there was a power pole, and Jan was putting away a sailboat, uh, putting away a sailboat, and the mast of the sailboat touched the power line, and he was electrocuted on the spot. It was, it was the second to last day of camp. I thought it was the last day. Or the day. last day of camp. We had already packed. And um, uh, that was a that was a dark, dark, unfortunate moment in camp. But I will, I, I will tell you, when I look back on Camp Ojibwa, it just, it's just the fondest of memories. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling that you can't get too many places in life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting you say that because, you know, camp's been around now almost 90 summers, and basically one person died there. I mean, Paul James died there, but he just died. Well, he was going to die anyway. It just happened to be the place <laughs> he was standing when he fell over. But one person has died yeah. in all of those years. It's really sort of astounding that it hasn't, you know, well, and particularly as, you know, I, I, I'm certain that camp today is a lot more, um, is a lot more structured. Yes. Um, we were a wild bunch. I mean, we were a wild bunch. It, and there weren't a whole lot of rules and there weren't a whole lot of rec, uh, regulations. And, and, and we took a lot of chances that we probably shouldn't have taken, whether it was water skiing or swimming in the middle of the lake or... Uh, drunken. Oh yeah, the island swims, and uh, you know, uh, a drunken nights out on the uh, on the raft. I don't know if the raft is still there. Absolutely. But uh, you know, midnight swims and uh, cavorting with uh, kitchen staff and uh, uh, female, of course, and and and, and age appropriate. <laughs> just, just to be clear. Did you, did you check the driver's license? Just to be clear. Our, all of our kitchen staff now are foreign staff that come from sort of Eastern Europe. Uh, a lot of Ukraine, a lot of uh, Poland. Oh, Doug, you would like that. Please. <laughs> Ukraine. <laughs> really uh, his name came up earlier. Tell me a great Dave Share story. Dave Share was a uh, Dave Share. How, how tight was the speedo when he used to? Yeah, there, there, there is. is how so, tight was that speedo? So Dave Share would wear a speedo that was about four sizes too small. <laughs> and I'm sure he was packing, sure. clearly. And um, we love you, Dave. Uh, we love Dave Share, but um, Dave was a maniac. I mean, Dave, you want to talk about somebody who boundaries just didn't apply to? It was it was Dave Share? I mean, we, none of us really had boundaries, but clearly, Dave was just a, a a maniac. But he one summer he did bring up uh, his girlfriend, who was the nurse. And we all fawned over there. I can't remember the nurse's name. Is it Cindy? No. Cynthia? Well, I'll think of it. But uh, uh, he was just a, a, a raving maniac. <laughs> Absolutely a raving maniac. But love him to death. Yeah. Absolutely love him to death. He had the, he had the trot, though. He had the date share trot, remember? And he would when carry he would the hold, torch. He, he would, would hold, hold the, the torch. torch. He did the share trot. Yes. Classic. He's the first guy who holds the torch, right? I mean, that kind of starts with, yeah. the, the, with that crew. Jenny or Ginny or something like that. And he held the torch. Yes, he did. Very nice. Uh, I, I met Dave through post camp. Um, starting, um, I started doing post camp seven or eight years ago in state. But I kind of run post camp, and, and he was there. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? And now we become friends. So when I come to town, he puts together a poker game over his house. Ah, a little Texas Hold'em. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. So, so best athletes I've ever seen at camp. Yeah. Uh, I, know the, I know the best one. Especially, you're in a really. I mean, not to poo-poo the 70s, but the 60s are really... So, Barry Feldman, uh, Mickey Kaplan, 
probably the best all-around athlete ever to come to Camp Ojibwe, in my, in my opinion, was Larry Lubin. Yes, absolutely. Um, what a, Larry and I have exchanged emails. What a, what a smooth stroke on the basketball court and um, probably best all-around athlete I've ever seen. Um, second that. Uh, Alan Bartlestein, we it's called Beetle Bomb was his name. Nice. Um, what about you? Uh, we're not talking about me. We're talking about <laughs> the, the best athletes I ever saw. Dan Nickow was a good athlete. Nickow was, um, so he's younger than me. Dan Nickow was, was a very good athlete. Um, but those were probably the best athletes I ever saw at camp. Who are you guys? I, I think his era was, was much better than, than my era. That up. Do you guys compete against other camps? And if so, how much? How regularly? Uh, we still, um, we'll still play all of camp. We'll play against Menominee. We'll play sports all day with them. Horseshoe has been a little dicey. The newer horseshoe, with George yeah. yep. is, uh, you know, uh, ruffled some feathers coming in from the gate. So it became a little dicey early on, and then it was kind of hard to keep staff's heads in the game sometimes. Mm. But but we've we've kind of figured that out. And now that they've kind of lost a little bit of their shine too, and everything is. All the water is back even everywhere. Not competitive. <laughs> yeah. We had, uh, we had uh, so back in our day, all we did is, we, and we didn't have intercamp competition. Um, we would play one softball game and one basketball game at camp. And uh, back in the day, there was a, a giant uh, guy from town by the name of Verl. Verl was Verl was about, uh, in my recollection, about eight foot seven to be tall, right? And it, and and uh, he was he was the most coordinated guy. He was also the only guy with teeth. So sure. there was that, uh, but we didn't have any of that kind of. Right. Wrap it up a little bit. Uh, I always ask two things at the end. You guys are grownups. You've lived life. How would you say at this point your experience in Cambodia affected that life? I would just say that it it uh, it taught me about being a man and, and, and taking on responsibility and, and taking that competitive fire and, and using that competitive fire and taking that competitive fire and applying it to uh, work and what you do for a living and, and, and trying to outwork the next guy to try to get to where you want to go as far as your career and kind of channeling that and taking that experience and using that and having that competitiveness in you and that ambition and that drive to constantly get better, to be able to, to bring your A game yeah. every day is really what it, it gave me that foundation. Socialization, clearly, for me. Um, not only to try your, your hardest, but, but how to be a, a, a good man, how to wake up every day in a place of gratitude and uh, be thankful, and um, really how to how to how to be a good person, and how to get along with people, more more so than any lesson I ever learned at camp was that. Yes, absolutely. So I always wrap up with this. Tell me one great camp story. God, I know, I know one of the things that we we didn't pull it off, but one of the things we wanted to do, and I don't even know how we even thought about doing this is we wanted to take a camper and we wanted to swim his bed and the camper and park him on the raft overnight. We, we'll, 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 
but we but we didn't get it done. It was one of our it was one of our we talked about it for sure. weeks, but physically it's 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 physically it's not possible. Right, it's a little dicey getting the bed over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the bed, not only but the camper. Yeah, the bed, no. but how cool would that have been? You have a camper, wake up, and you have dipper shower, and there's a camper sleeping on the raft. That would be legendary. <laughs> legendary. One great camp story. Uh, well, I can I can give you a couple. There are there are there are six campers who um, had their first drinking experience uh, out in the woods, uh, and there are beer cans. Buried. That, that if you unearth them, uh, <laughs> their 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 DNA will be will, will be on them. And I think it was Denny. I can't remember who's. Maybe it wasn't Denny. Maybe it was somebody in the is the um, waterfront uh, shack still there? Where two people mm-hmm. sleep in there? Yeah. I don't think it was Denny, but we did reassemble somebody's cabin on the raft one night and uh, I don't think it was Denny we got that person very 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 drunk and we reassembled their cabin on the on the raft it was it, it, so we, we it was it was clothes it was I mean they were stripped down naked and tied to the raft um, they do they still play Magangi ball uh, no what, well I don't know what is Magangi ball well, Magangi Ball was on, on Sunday mornings when you would go out uh, naked as a jaybird, and there was a big old ball. And, um, uh, and I, I'm certain the guy's name was Magangi, because you can't make that name up, right? right? And uh, he used to play on the, on the raft naked as a jaybird with this big old ball called Magangi Ball. But, um, <laughs> no, that's uh, definitely not well, still in the repertoire. Okay, so, so I gave you Magangi Ball. I gave you getting kids drunk. I gave you... Being on the on the on the snowmobile, and, you know that's it's a full rich that's fair enough. heritage. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I cannot tell you. Much thank you. Me. This was fun. Awesome, thank, thank you, Chris. Pleasure. Okay, there we go. Another one in the books. Mick Sampson and Doug Singer. A uh, bunch of great stories there. Unbelievable. Mick Sampson was the guy on the back of the snowmobile with Elliot. All these years, I've thought it was Borstein. Uh, amazing. Not only that, but uh, also there for another one of the biggest events in camp history. These guys were great. I uh, would love to visit them again. Hopefully, we'll get them out here for the 90th summer celebration. 90th summer celebration coming up. Check us out, org. Click on OJ90. Find out about the 90th summer celebration. Click on Walk of Fame. Get your brick. Get yourself permanently ensconced right here on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa. The bricks that are here look amazing, but I've got a few more slots, and I would love your name to be part of the names that are permanently here. Outside of that, it's been uh, an amazing week at camp, but the weather today is pretty dreadful. I have to be honest with you. It's cold. It's rainy. Playoffs are in question. Program director working hard as always. But while he's over there sweating it out, I'm heading to Campfire Site 9 to have a cigar. (laughs) 